0: Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of the win-win podcast where once again I bring you not one but two amazing guests. Before we kick it off with a fascinating conversation between the two co-CEOs Nicole Centeno and Elise Densborn of the ready-to-eat plant-based meal company Splendid Spoon, I want to catch you up on what's been happening in the world of win and some other fun tidbits that have been top of mind for me. Hopefully, you would have heard of or even attended our Win Awards Gala, which celebrated some of the most incredible innovators and innovations. For the first time since probably like early 2020 or even late 2019, we had a major Win event, and of course, we had to make it a cause for celebration and uplifting other women. What makes Women in Innovation so special is all of the parts that make it happen as it is a volunteer-run organization, but I did want to give an extra special shout-out to one of our sponsors, Frog, who to me epitomizes a dream of an innovation company. Frog, a part of Capgemini Invent, is a leading global creative consultancy. They challenge the status quo to craft and build transformative human experiences that win hearts and move markets. I encourage you to learn more about them at www.frog.co. Frog Frog felt like the perfect partner to sponsor today's episode, which features two incredible women who are all about winning hearts and moving markets. Nicole and Elise are co-CEOs behind the iconic Splendid Spoon, and beyond creating some of the most delicious plant-based meals and smoothies I have yet to try— They are innovators across their business model, across their digital experience, and even how they run their organizations as two leaders in a CEO role. I am so thrilled for you to see how they are thinking about leadership, startup life, fundraising, and all of those great insights. Finally, I wanted to say thank you to those who have been tuning into the podcast. Whether you've been here since episode one or 91, I'm thankful to learn and grow alongside you at every stage and with every conversation. When I listen back to conversations like today's, I'm confident that we can change the world together for the better. Hi, Nicole and Elise. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast.
1: Hi, Zoya. Thank you for having us.
0: Hi, Zoya. Super, super excited to be here and to get to speak to the two of you. I think so much about both of your stories is fascinating, even just starting with the fact that you both are co-CEOs and you both are women at the helm of this incredible company, Splendid Spoon, as well as all of the other bits and pieces about your background. So I think, Nicole, knowing that you originally had founded this company, I'd love to kind of talk about your background and life before a Splendid Spoon. So I know you had a really impressive media background ranging from Wired to Bonnier, Condé Nast, New Yorker, and then you find yourself creating a food startup. <laughs> so how, how, you know, how did that happen? And, and do you really bring your media background into your job today?
1: Yes. So how did I find myself at a food startup? I kind of like to think that starting Splendid Spoon was reconnecting with myself after taking a little hiatus (laughs) into media. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. My background as an undergraduate was studying biology and biochemistry, and um, I actually studied fasting and ketogenic diets and how they could impact different disease models, specifically epilepsy. So I really have always been quite interested in how things work how nutrition can impact us. And then while I was in the media space at Condé Nast, I went to culinary school in New York City. So kind of like tested the waters for this passion that I've always had inside of myself and really fell in love with the process of making food and creating joy through these like very artistic mm-hmm. food experiences. So I followed that. I mean, that really is kind of the essence of my experience as an entrepreneur is there was... This voice inside of me that really would not be quiet, and I just kind of like continued to nourish that. Um, so before I started Splendid Spoon, I had a whole side hustle, which I think is pretty common with a lot of founders. Is you sort of test the waters a little bit before the big aha moment maybe comes, and that was certainly true for me. I, I was working in catering. I had pop ups. I was teaching cooking classes. Like. Just doing ev- anything and everything to stay in contact with this creative force that was driving me. But when I became pregnant with my son Grover, and this is now nine years ago, so actually thinking about life before Splendid is starting to feel like a distant mm-hmm. memory, which is kind of cool. But when I became pregnant with Grover, I realized I had become so focused on food as just like a joyful creative experience that I had gotten pretty far removed from my research roots and like food as function. It was a really big moment for me to think okay well how do I want my food to actually like nourish me? Will it be easy for me to do as a working parent? (laughs) Like that was a big fear for Mm -hmm. me was how am I going to continue to pursue my career ambitions, my passion ambitions, while taking on this very big responsibility of being a parent as well. And it does turn out that, you know, making healthy food is not quite so easy. (laughs) So it seemed like Mm -hmm. a really big opportunity. Um, And, you know, with kind of myself as that first guinea pig and others, similar to me, it it helped me to really validate the market and, and feel confident that Splendid Spoon would be able to help others.
0: Oftentimes the story of entrepreneurship is, is people who are, always passionate to start that company to raise that, you know, series, whatever funding round, but I think that a a route that's less discussed, and actually probably a lot more viable for people, and a way to enable them to enter the entrepreneurship space with a lot less risk is kind of keeping your side hustle as a side hustle first, and then really enabling yourself to take that leap when you're ready, which I think is a really thoughtful approach to entrepreneurship. I also wanted to touch on uh, something you said, and that's that you were doing other bits and pieces as your side hustle, the catering. Back then in 2013 or around that time, do you feel like you had the same flexibility or openness to talk about that you were doing all those things? Or how did your day job really take it, I guess?
1: It's It's such a good point. I did have a lot of anxiety at the time of like, will I have to be dishonest to my employer around, like, where my real passions lie? Like, even that felt like um, something I had to withhold. And it wasn't until there was this sort of, like, prioritization, I guess, of that voice inside of me that I, I had almost, like, a conversation with myself where I was like, this is important, and it's important regardless of what anybody thinks of it. And... Ultimately, this is where I'm going. So, if I'm judged by where I am today, like I accept that I'm okay with it. And at that time, it did give me a lot of freedom and opened me up to be more courageous with my employer. So, at that time, as I was doing like the side hustle and trying to balance work with side hustle, I was at the New Yorker and I will always remember talking to the publisher Lisa Hughes, who was known for being having very high performing teams, being very focused on business growth. The expectation was that you worked hard and long and that you hit your goals. And I, I was fearful of talking to her, but I had this part of me that like, I knew required some trade-off on how much time I spent. At my day job. And ultimately when I did speak to her. She respected it. I think you know like it is amazing. That now there is more of an embrace. And even you know there's space. For that creator culture. That is so helpful to entrepreneurship. But there will always be something. That you're afraid of. (laughs) As an entrepreneur. That feels like you're being pushed against. And I think kind of testing out. That internal passion. And North Star against whatever that force is opens you up um, and, and often is surprising and where the environment or where that opposing force ends up meeting you.
0: Yeah, you didn't just make these assumptions. You kept on trying and, and tapping into your curiosity to test some of those questions of, you know, is my employer going to judge me? Instead of bottling that up, I think it's really great that you just, you just tried. And ultimately, yes, you ended up leaving your job, but at least you know you exhausted all of the other options, which I think is a really great takeaway yeah and so Elise looking looking to your side of the story, I know that you joined Nicole um, you were actually a customer first, which mm-hmm. is really interesting and really great and your whole background was really in a more strategy finance operational point of view uh, prior to Swan and Spoon, you were at MPI Corporation, you were at PWC you were even a White House intern which is unbelievable. <laughs> so what really inspired you to pivot? And were you nervous about taking the risk that comes on with joining a startup?
2: Oh, my gosh. It's such a great question. When I like think about what made me pivot, it was actually just like kind of the similar burning desire to really get after the intersection of food and health. Um, I had had sort of like an uh, my, my work background had been very traditional, like you stated, like PwC, MPI, all of these like finance strategy roles, kind of like traditional corporate Environments, but my personal path had been along sort of like studying how, um, plant-based food had really impacted people's health. And I read this book called The China Study. I had had this, I'd studied abroad in Italy and had my own personal experience with eating plant-based. And so I knew I wanted to get there, but I was so far from it in terms of just the industry. And I was, I was in like industrial business at the time. Um, So I actually went to business school on the weekends at Northwestern, and that was sort of where I started to explore entrepreneurship and food systems um, on the side and, and really starting to, like, test things that way. Um, but I'm also very characteristically, like, a very dedicated person, and so I had a hard time making the leap while I was working and schooling and all these things. So I actually quit my job. Um, and was taking a little bit of a break um, before I figured out what to do next. When um, Splendid Spoon sort of like knocked on my door from a business perspective, I had already been a customer and Nicole's co-founder Satish reached out and said that there was an operating problem um, with the smoothie line that they needed help with. And I was kind of like, well, you know, I'm taking a break to try to figure out how I'm going to chart this path um, to the f- to like food systems. I was thinking about it a little bit differently at the time. Um, but I said yes. And so I, I came out to New York, um, and did some consulting work. Um, and kind of like the rest is history. Nicole's like, please stay. So the, the risk part is interesting because I, I wasn't, I didn't have a job at the time and I really needed to have nothing. I really needed to have space after, you know, seven years of go, go, go with work and school in a totally different arena to figure out how to get there. And I just fortuitously, um, landed on sort of like the perfect uh, dream job for me, and in and exactly the industry and, and place I wanted to be. So I consider myself quite fortunate, quite lucky.
0: Very, very interesting. And I'm almost mad at myself and kicking myself for even asking. The question from a perspective of risk, it's its really not, not even about that. I think what's really exciting is that you both were strategic rather than risk averse. So, you know, Nicole, in your case, you wanted to make sure you'd exhausted all the options. You tried out your product to in different markets and in different capacities. And Elise, you wanted to go to business school and enable yourself a new path to explore. So I almost don't want to chalk it up to being risk averse. I think it's more about being strategic, and I, I think it really warrants a different you know, conversation. So I'm gonna I'm gonna self note that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I would say that I my behavior earlier in my career was definitely more risk adverse. Like there was a little bit more of um, feeling like I needed to gather all the skill sets and be as prepared as possible. And I and I will say, sort of taking the leap and doing this partnership with Nicole has taught me a lot about um taking risk and um facing fear and embracing fear um and testing and to your point strategically of course and being really like thoughtful and intentional mm-hmm. but I, I do have to credit Splinted Spoon with really like uncovering the inter the inner entrepreneur within me for sure.
0: I love the idea of your partnership. And what I was really curious about is you recently raised another fundraising round, your series B. The fact that you even did that is beyond impressive. As we know, most money does not go to women in regards to venture capital. But I also consider this notion that your product is a consumer goods product. And I know that with one of the challenges of of raising money and capital as a whole is that there's this push for incredible growth and oftentimes companies are expected to grow at the rate of tech companies or SaaS companies when they're fundamentally not. So just curious to think as you think about the innovation in your product and as you think about that in relation to fundraising and the pressures that come with fundraising, really how do you have a focused approach to innovation and what is that approach?
1: We have a very wide angle lens when we think about innovation and actually a lot of it really starts with the culture that we try to promote at Splendid Spoon at at our heart we are people nourishing people with food right so like the openness with which we can look at a problem from multiple perspectives is really like a strength in our ability to find what is common across disparate communities or like different Needs and how we solve our problems is so innately like cross functional across multiple groups. Every big project takes into account the perspectives from multiple people, which I think is a big part of like the co CEO leadership. It's a big part of how we think about product development. It's a big part of how that in and of itself we believe is pretty innovative. And it's meant that we've been able to create. Physical product in our food, as well as digital product that has created an incredibly loyal following. And so, as it pertains to the venture market, you know, it's the venture market is relative to whatever category or market you are trying to attack as a brand um, or with your solution. And for us, one of the biggest challenges with D2C food has been, there's so much competition in food, period. We're eating multiple times a day. It's highly competitive. Right. Each meal time, each snack time, is you're competing with many, many different things, not even just your direct D2C competitors. And so churn, For people sure. actually leaving, is a, a highly problematic metric in our space. Our wide-angle lens has always been establishing metrics that show... A deep appreciation and need for our service. And, you know, whether that's through customer loyalty metrics, whether that's through like very unique ways that our most loyal customers use our product, um, whether that's through NPS, like those have been the metrics that we have really focused on as a brand. And I think that has, that is part of the story of what has helped us to be successful with venture capital, but yeah, there's lots to say about that. I'm sure, Elise, you have some some thoughts on this also.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing that's been challenging for us, I think you were kind of alluding to this, Zoya, is we are not a SaaS business and we are not a traditional CPG business. We're a consumer brand that right. has all the dynamics um, and cost structures of a physical food business and also the market dynamics and cost structures of um, sort of like a digital direct-to-consumer sales and distribution platform. And it doesn't sit squarely in like one specific analog that the venture market has um, sort of like design. You know, like we can't be perfectly compared um, to mm-hmm. SaaS. We can't be perfectly compared to CPG. We can't be perfectly compared to, to really anything. And so it's really been up to Nicole and I to... To really paint the picture of the white space and the opportunity and how bringing these different, um, complex systems and, um, ways of building things, um, both, you know, the wisdom of CPG and sort of like the brawn and the physical elements of the business and, sort of the new way of innovating and thinking about building digital products and bringing those together um, uniquely and what that could mean for customers and for investors. But there's certainly like a real education curve, right? Like we have to to make sure people understand how we're doing things differently and why or why not. Um, We can be compared to to different um, businesses that they have seen and how they could imagine us being something that is unique because that's what we seek to be. We seek to be different. We seek to Um, stand out and innovate in a different way from our competitors or in in our space.
0: When you think about innovation, when the D2C business model came out as a business model, I mean, it totally revolutionized the entire industry. For starters, giving everyone an opportunity to create this incredible business without having to go through these gatekeeping corporations that would be distribution channels. However, as time showed, there were also downfalls to that business model and and lots of challenges coming with it. So understanding that you are a D2C business model, and from my research, you remain to be a D2C model, how are you kind of rethinking or thinking about your business model and keeping the business model aspect of it innovative too?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's both innovative and sort of like tapping into classical wisdoms, which is sort of like the name of the game for Nicole and I and, and D2C business. Like you have to, you still have to have a great. Um, relevant brand. You still have to have a great relevant product. Um, and there's just one fewer step. So I think there's an element of um, not overthinking it in terms of like excellent service, excellent product, excellent brand. Like those things all have to be there. Operating disciplines all have to be there. Um, and then how do we think about innovating um, in really like our distribution model is, is thinking at like a holistic um, omni-channel approach. And how do we how do we really um, talk to our customers and leverage our direct relationship to be smarter and faster and more relevant on the food product side, and then leveraging those insights and into sort of like a more efficient, um, a better um, experience in, in real life environment. So we think about that. We also think a lot about the the rhythms of customer behavior as it relates to food buying and how we can kind of mm-hmm. meet our customers where they are and show up for them. I think a good example is during the pandemic, we built, an on-demand store separate from our core site to allow people to stock up on food um, during a time that that shelves were empty and there was you know a lot of fear around being out in the world. And so for us, it's really this opportunity, this agility to to think about the entire landscape and and understand how to meet our customers where they are in in both arenas. Elise, definitely
1: really nailed it in terms of how we work and how we like not overthinking it is like, (laughs) I think 90% of it. Um, one Mm -hmm. other thing that I would add is the importance of creativity when thinking about the value of your business model and like in a highly competitive space, like not forgetting some of the key characteristics of DTC that drew us there in the first place. So One is that our path to innovation and path to validation of um, commercializing a product is like light years faster than it is in the retail space. So we know within about 90 days, whether or not a product has fit with our target consumer and on a retail shelf, it takes more like six to nine months to really establish that. So, you know, like that provides us with a much faster ability to meet our customers where they are um, and deliver them product that they love. And for us as a business, not to not to have waste, right? like only launch products and continue scaling products that we know are going to be really beloved by
0: our customers. Before I was in the financial services space, I used to work in the luxury fashion space and overseeing some of those key relationships with department stores. And while they were great partners, at the end of the day, you have this huge dependency on them and, and they do house other brands. So, you know, you, your learnings aren't as clear cut, uh, but of course it comes with its own challenges as as we've discussed. Another really unique and innovative part about your company and your relationships is that initially, Elise, you started out, as you mentioned, uh, as a VP of finance and insights, you moved into a COO role, and then you became co-CEO. And Nicole, I know throughout this entire time, you had Three kids and with every kid, there was something else that had happened in relation to Splendid Spoon and and your own life. So was just really curious to talk about that moment where you decided to bring on Elise as co-CEO. What really stemmed that and how you're thinking about it now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like at the highest level, so much of the co-CEO dynamic does come back to this real dedication to community and service to others and this real belief that it's better with others there to uncover problems, come up with creative solutions, and be thoughtful and compassionate to the varied experiences that our community has. So I think in the heart of hearts of Splendid Spoon, there is this deep belief that there doesn't need to be one final word (laughs) On anything. I think that's like highly resonant throughout all parts of our culture at Splendid Spoon. And I do think that being a parent has really informed a lot of that. I'm actually divorced. So I also have a co-parenting relationship with my first partner and the father of my two sons. And then I have a parenting relationship with my husband and uh, for our daughter so my third child and so I have really lived this experience of what happens when you let go of your ego and you share responsibilities with others and you treat others like an equal I have found it to be massive in terms of like what it allows you to do for other people like for my family first and foremost and Um, I think that that energy really called to me with Splendid Spoon as well because both Elise and I, I think, saw in each other human beings who are very dedicated to something outside of ourselves. And it's that entrepreneurial spirit, that like real dedication to a mission outside of yourself is quite rare, like incredibly rare. And a few years in, I felt that more deeply than I had felt it in the early years. You know, in the early years, it's all opportunity. Like you don't know anything. So everything's a possibility. And as you learn and get a little bit farther along, um, you realize like, you know, it is very rare to find someone else who has that true entrepreneurial spirit. And, I saw that in Elise and I saw aspects of how we worked together that reminded me of how I parent and how I co-parent and the amount of vulnerability and trust that's required to really go deep on things that you do not understand how to do. Uh, And I was like, let's do this. Like, and I thought Elise would be in. So Love I mean, it was honestly like, it was this, it was not like a one moment, like, oh, we're going to like go all in and like right. it's co-CEO. It was a much more sort of like figuring it out and revealing the path as we went, I would say was more of the actual experience, but looking back on it, it was so obvious that we had this very mutual respect for each other. And then on the skill side that it allowed us both to contribute meaningfully to the strategy of the business while leaning into our hard strengths and skill sets to service different parts of the business at the same time. It was like very clear to me, this is a huge strength, and we should formalize it.
0: And Elise, I definitely want to hear from you in this aspect too, but it it makes me think about this notion that one, leadership doesn't look the same everywhere, and number two, I think that you're really actually challenging this, again, entrepreneurship stigma of, I am a startup founder, which means I have no life and my value is determined by the amount of money I raise and the hours I don't sleep in a night. And I think that is a big reason why people, but especially women, don't even feel equipped to enter that or have no interest because they are mothers or they are people who want to have interests outside of their jobs. And so I think even just by bringing on Elise and asking for help and, and and saying, let's do this together, let's figure this out together, opens up room to challenge that and and create just a whole new way of thinking. So curious to hear if, Elise, that resonates with you and how your journey switching from being a, a VP and a COO in the company then manifested into that co-CEO ownership model.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting f- for me, I think the, the piece to underline that, that Nicole spoke to was just this immense amount of trust. I think largely the path to getting to co-CEO was us really building that foundation and really understanding each other and, and having this, um, personal conviction of like wanting to figure out how to challenge that story of female leadership and having to make sacrifices, um, at, in the home and, at work or having to choose one or the other. I think I had my, like my own personal experience growing up with parents that were both very, very family oriented and also very, very career oriented. And, and I watched them sort of like ebb and flow throughout life. Um, sort of one taking the lead on career, the other taking the lead on family or balancing, um, or just kind of like putting somebody taking the back seat, somebody taking the front seat kind of thing. And so I had that that modeled for me. And, and one of the things they said when I was growing up was that like, it's really hard to have it all, all of the time. Um, and like, I just didn't believe it had to be that way. Um, and so for when this kind of like organically came to be the way Nicole and I were working together, I think there was an instinct for us to both, really having that shared value system of being leaders at home and being leaders at work and wanting to figure out, like, what do you have to give up? And and what you have to give up is your ego. Like, you don't have to give up, like, leading in either place. You have to give up, like, counting them as your own wins. And you have to be willing to let somebody else take the lead and drive something um, and you take the back seat sometimes, and you take the front seat sometimes. It's about what the business needs at the point in time. Um, so, I mean, for Nicole and I, it ebbs and flows day to day, week to week. It depends on the season of the business. It depends on what's most important at a certain period of time and who is best equipped to sort of like fill that need. Um, and then it also matters what's going on at home. You know, like if my parents are in town, she's taking the lead. And if she has the, like the spring break with the kids, I'm taking the lead, you know, and, and it's have, having that flexibility and that willingness. And, and also the curiosity to kind of like stretch outside of your comfort zone. And for me personally, like my career path has, has sort of been windy and non-traditional in the ways I've hopped around. And so to, to be able to sort of like wear the different hats and, and have that change and evolve over time is exciting and interesting. And, um, I think I wish more people would do it. It's just really fulfilling. Um, so. So I think it's. I hope that that we can sort of inspire others to to challenge their thinking on um, co leadership.
0: Absolutely, and and it goes beyond just you know being a co CEO. I think about how I can take these learnings into my own role and and what I'm learning at a very large corporation in America, and I think about how. You know, my manager has spoken up about drawing lines and rethinking what success is. And this is literally a conversation we had this week. And me and my coworker were just sharing out, you know, our our never ending to do list for the week. And she said, Where do you draw the line? And it really prompted a conversation of is winning staying up every night until 2am and crossing off your to do list or is winning saying hey not only these are the three priorities that we're working on but we're going to draw the line there and rethink success and I think that it's just going to create longevity it's going to decrease churn but I'm sure at a company of your size where that churn is more important than ever and employee retention and culture is more important than ever that that makes an especially big difference Thank you both so much for sharing your stories. And so before I do let the two of you go, I'd love to ask each of you, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now?
1: Ooh, that's fun. Um, I'll try to do just sort of like instinctive rapid fire on this. I guess that's the intention, right? One month from now, I expect to have some pretty interesting new ways of thinking about our business and our distribution channels. One year from now, everything will look very different in our landscape. Um, I think we'll have a totally different environment that we're working in. Distribution, the way that we advertise, um, and even the types of products that we're producing. And then 10 years from now, gosh, you know, 10 years from now, my head actually goes more to like how people are leading their businesses and what we will take from this time of the last like two to three years and how that will change some of the business value systems. People will be leading differently, that there will be more leadership dynamics, like what Elise and I are building with co-CEO with the prioritization of family and business ambitions, and that will be celebrated by our male peers as well, because ultimately what's better for the growth of our communities and our families is better for quality of life and is better for business also.
0: Love it. What about
2: you, Elise? Oh, man, that's going to be hard to beat on that 10-year mission. <laughs> um, Okay. My one month, I expect myself and the business to be really in like a very creative, inspiring zone of innovation and um, like thoughtfulness and momentum of just sort of like being physically together again and sort of like in in the old flow um so the future the future version of um collaboration um just feels like a nice theme for the summer um as we look forward at that one year and 10 year mark my vision for one year from now is just a very like alive splendid spoon a very um full of of a bigger team and the brand sort of like expanding into life and more ways, more products, more experiences, all of those fun things. And then 10 years, I think, you know, I have to ditto, Nicole, there is just this side of me that has a lot of what I do is rooted in... Just overall lifestyle and leadership, um, and, and sort of the way Americans live their lives, um, as it pertains to their health. And so I hope that we are eating a lot more plants. I hope that the, the planet is more alive, um, and that our families are, are more nour- nourished and that there are more sort of women who feel empowered and not like an imposter, um, as in sort of like our landscape.
0: I love everything about both of what you said, and it it further just demonstrates this exciting partnership between you two and between the diversity of thought that you both bring to the table. Thank you so much for joining me on the Win-Win podcast today.
2: Thank you, Zoya.
0: Thanks for having us, Zoya. Thanks for listening to Win-Win, brought to you by WIN, women in innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womeninnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.